Welcome, TTB community. I'm Bob Domena, and here with me, as always, is the sparkling Elliot Shibley. Sparkling? You are sparkling. sparkling. Shining bright like a diamond today. Thank you. I don't know, you have a sparkling personality uh, this morning, and I figured the, uh, that adjective was fitting. I, I appreciate that. Well, we're, we've got a lot of things going. We've got a lot of episodes recorded, which is pretty exciting. And as always, uh, take a second to join us on the Traveler's Blueprint community page on Facebook. We have a private group as well that we've mentioned before. Take some time. Check out our Instagram page. We usually post some cool pictures of our past travels, and we've always got new and updated episodes. we got Throwback Thursday now for past episodes, which is pretty exciting. And leave us a review wherever you're listening, whether that be on iTunes, Radio Public, whatever it is. And now a word from our sponsors. Are you tired of steaming milk being a barista? Deferring on your student loans? Do you wish you could beat Elon Musk to the moon? Look no further with spaceship loans. Our program allows you to lease a spaceship for 18 months with no money down, So one day, you'll have a spaceship of your own, complete with Pinterest set-up living room, modern decor, and your own golden retriever that you can take care of and put on Instagram for at least the next five years until you get bored and realize you're paying too much for dog food. It's time that you became the millennial that you always dreamed of being. It's time to feel the G's with spaceship loans. Today's guest has inspired me uh, in more ways than one. He is and a, a very motivated traveler and I, I saw that when I met him in Thailand and it it pushed me to see more of the world uh, we've kept in touch through social media ever since uh, so he's developed this passion specifically for Asian culture and he's now taken up I should say temporary residence in South Korea teaching English to well to five-year-olds or seven-year-olds depending on the country that you're you're from we'll talk about that later in the episode uh, so what we did with this episode, it provides a really good blueprint for how to go about teaching English abroad. And I think you can learn a lot uh, on the initial steps to get you there. So I really hope you find it informative. And without further introduction, please welcome Ryan Calio. Welcome to the Traveler's Blueprint. Start designing your next adventure. Ryan, welcome to the show. I'm really happy to have you on. You are so you are now the third person who is on the show that I met in Thailand, which I just want to say goes to show how important these relationships are you make when you're traveling and how long they can really last. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, to this day, that trip is definitely one of the highlights of all my travels. So I'm glad we've kept in touch with so many people from it as well. That means a lot to me, man, because you have been all over the world and. <laughs> You've, you've traveled way more than I have, and for that to be a highlight, uh, that makes me feel better about my experience there. No, it really was. I mean, I think it was the people more than anything that made it, which I often find with any kind of trip. Uh, the people matter so much more than the place, and that tour was incredible because of our group. It was very yeah. special. I almost feel like an honorary member of that group now that I've talked to, you know, five different people from it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You probably know just as much that went on as we remember. <laughs> no, he's he's heard about this, this story so many times now. It's, yeah. Yeah, it was awesome. But so so you've been all over the world. Um, how how many countries have you been to? Are you keeping track? 
Um, I was a while ago. I think it's somewhere around 30 or low 30s. And uh, yeah, at last count. <laughs> that's a good thing to lose count. That means you're doing it right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do you have a favorite? Uh, I get I get asked that a lot. It's always very difficult to choose just because um, so many countries are my favorite for very different reasons or just based on, you know, uh, where I was at in life at the time. But um, I, I would say my top ones that I, I always come back to when I think about it would be Spain, Greece, um, Ireland, and Thailand. I, wow. I think. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I was thinking you were going to stick to the Asian countries. Yeah. I mean, I love Asia as well, but Europe definitely has a lot of highlights for me. Yeah. Yeah. Elliot's a big fan of Ireland and Spain. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Both, I'm with you both on are that. great, great countries, a lot of good, uh, <laughs> a lot of good drinks and a lot of good food. Yeah, definitely. But so you, but it seems like you've focused most of your travel in Asia, right? You've been, have you been to every Asian country yet? No, no. I, I've been to far more countries in Europe than Asia. Wow. Um, I'm surprised. Yeah. You I, I've kind of stuck to Asia for the last, uh, how long now? Three years, I guess. Okay. Um, but before that, um, I traveled mostly just in Europe since I began traveling about seven years ago, I think. So, um, I, I, yeah, I feel like I've done Asia fairly in depth. Um, but I haven't done a huge amount of it compared to Europe, I would say. And when we met in Thailand, I remember that you were coming off of other trips, right? And what was it, Laos, I think, that you were in? Do you remember? Uh, no, I think that may have been Nico. He had. Nico. Laos. Yeah, uh, you, that was your only trip then? Uh, that was, it was kind of the start of a, a big trip for me um, in Thailand. Oh, okay. So I began... I think we were doing that in like mid-February. So we, I, I began my trip at the end of January in Thailand. Um, and then after that, I went on to Vietnam, Japan, back to Thailand, and then China. And I, I think I finally headed back to Australia at the end of May sometime. Wow. Then. <laughs> That's so, awesome. Yeah. That was a really fun trip. <laughs> and so how do you have the time to travel? I know Australia gives their citizens way more time off than the United <laughs> States. The United States is notoriously horrible for that. But yeah, how do you do it? Um, yeah, I mean, Australia definitely does give uh, large holidays in general for jobs. I think it's usually five to six weeks a year. Um, wow. We get a third yeah. of that. Yeah. Oh, Most man. jobs give you two weeks when you start. And then... Right. And then you don't get the third week until you've been there for five years. And you don't get the fourth week until you've been there for wow. 10 years. Oh, wow. I didn't yes. Realize that. We're I think, slaves. <laughs> I think it's quite common to start with four weeks in oh, Australia. Yeah. I could be wrong, but um, I know most people get a, a month or more. Like That's why you're all traveling, yeah. because you have nothing to do. Right? Yeah. Well, yeah, you have all this time <laughs> off. You can only spend so much time off on an island, right? You got to <laughs> exactly. You gotta go explore and, the world. <laughs> and... Yeah, and like luckily for me, I I never really worked. Um, I never really stayed or settled rather in a in a full time job in Australia. So um, when I began traveling, I was I just finished university, and uh, the work I'd been doing while at university was just like casual or part time, uh, which was great because it gave me like a higher pay rate. 
and I could finish my studies um, at a full-time pace. Uh, so I kind of finished university with all this money saved up. And um, the reason I first began traveling was actually because my my early 20s, my whole university life was really... Uh, <laughs> really depressing actually <laughs> it it wasn't a fun time for me um i suffered from anxiety a lot and uh it was kind of like dominating my life i was at a point where i couldn't even leave the house without having like huge panic attacks and i couldn't imagine my life without without having that like constant fear for no reason um so once university finished i also like i had no idea what i really wanted to do uh, in terms of like a career or or anything, I knew what I was interested in, but there wasn't really a large market for that in Australia. I majored in like writing and editing, um, so I kind of finished and just felt lost, and I wasn't happy with where I was at, and I'd wanted to travel for a very long time because all through school, my favorite my favorite subject had been history, and um, I'd spent years learning, you know, all about mostly European, about like ancient history, medieval history in Europe. And I'd wanted to go there for a very long time. So after, after a year or two of kind of waiting for, you know, one of my friends from university or school to decide to travel with me or, or do a trip together, do a tour, I waited a long time and life always seemed to get in the way of other people deciding to do that. So eventually I just decided to do it by myself, go completely alone. Uh, I didn't even do a tour on that whole first trip. I just flew over on my own and then I booked all my accommodation in Europe by myself, had to find my own way around. Um, yeah, I, I really threw myself in the deep end looking back now. But <laughs> wow, that really man. helped, I think, because after that trip I came home and I never had anxiety ever again. It was wow. like I was cured. It was the most bizarre experience and ever since then travel has been super important to me <laughs> that's that's really interesting you say that so the anxiety yeah. the anxiety that you were experiencing in university was that primarily due to the stresses of un university i think it, it it was sort of i think it mostly came from i felt like i was being sort of pushed into the next stage of life without being ready for it um it, it was so strange. I, I, I would even get it just for taking like public transport in Australia, having to take the train to uni on my, on my own or anything like that. Um, but once I was like forced to do that completely by myself in these countries where they didn't speak English or, uh, you know, I had no one to like lean on. Um, I don't know. It, it was so strange. It was like suddenly I realized I could do it. And I was in these places I had like read about and wanted to go to for so long. And yeah, I was just happy <laughs> suddenly. So yeah. no, that's awesome. I mean, I'm yeah. really, I'm really happy for you because anxiety is not fun to deal with, and it seems like you found a relatively cheap and alternative cure to it, rather than just taking a bunch of medication for a long time. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, it. I mean, going out there and experiencing the world maybe also opened your mind to seeing that you you don't have to just live in Australia and be one of the, you know, uh, you know, a, a cog in society. Uh, yeah. I think that was a big part of it. Actually. It, I think I was kind of, um, trapped in this sort of, you know, bubble of the world. I knew just my town and what, what 
life was meant to go like years down the track, you know, what society kind of dictates. And right. I wasn't ready for that. And I didn't really want a part of that. Um, I never even really wanted to stay in Australia. So once I, yeah, I think travel really helped to just broaden my perspective and, and realize how big the world was and how small my world was. Right. Uh, that really, really helped. Yeah. Everybody has their own reasons for traveling and that's awesome, man. So that, that sort of, pushed you to be a world traveler and you've been doing it ever <laughs> since and so now are you settled in south korea uh i feel fairly settled yeah which which scares me in a way <laughs> 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 i haven't felt this way in a very long time <laughs> um but I, I like to think that i could easily get back into it which i which i aim to do when i when i feel ready to leave here yeah. Um, but yeah, I am I am quite settled too, though. <laughs> if you swing into the United States, you know who to call if you're on the East Coast. Definitely. I will be there. Don't you worry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll hang out in Philadelphia. I took Leah to get cheesesteaks when she was here. I know. That sounds so fun. Yeah. <laughs> I will definitely come. <laughs> yeah. So, Ryan, I have a question. Since you are now living in are you in Seoul? Um, basically, yeah. I'm like just outside it in what's called like a satellite city. They like just sort of ring the outskirts of Seoul. But okay. um, yeah, for all intents and purposes, I just say I live in Seoul. <laughs> and <laughs> what, what brought you to Seoul? Uh, so on, on that uh, trip in Asia where I met you, Bob, um, I... I, before I left on that trip, I already had the idea of maybe teaching English abroad just because um, it always seemed to me like something I would enjoy. I, I like I like helping people. Um, I've always I always had respect for my teachers and thought that um, I would quite like to do that one day. And English is what I, I majored in at university. So um, when I went on that trip, I, I began to uh, run into, you know, some people in hostels and get talking to people. And I met a few who were teaching in South Korea or had just taught there and had only great things to say about it. Um, I also met a few South Koreans, which also helped as well. And, um, so part, I, I guess I came here for two reasons. One was I wanted to teach English somewhere anyway. And I had heard that East Asia was a a really good place to do it because it pays well and there's huge demand for it. So jobs are easy to come by. Um, but also because South Korea was one of the countries in Asia that I hadn't been to yet at all. So it was kind of a way to work here and save up some money, but also see a new country. Very cool. Yeah, that is awesome. I, a lot of our, a lot of our uh, guests that we have on, we like people in the U S and abroad tend to travel in very specific ways. Like, They'll go away for one to two weeks and then come back. And the experience is the experience is incredibly different when you reside in a foreign country, when a in a country that is not your home. And I don't know if you can talk about your experience and how you transitioned to living in South Korea and acclimating to that culture and not having very many close friends and family with you. Yeah. Um... That was always one thing that was on my mind when I decided to move here. Um, before this, I I hadn't really spent a lot of time long-term somewhere. So um, I, I thought that living somewhere was going to be very different to just traveling or, um, 
you know, jumping around from hostel to hostel. So um, I I wasn't too worried about the culture shock, I think, because I travelled a lot around Asia um, that year before. So um, that didn't bother me too much. Of course, I, I still suffered a little once I came here. Um, but that came more from the the sort of long-term lifestyle differences rather than the uh, the the culture of the country itself. So once I came here, one of the biggest things that took me a long time to get used to was the work culture, which is very, very different from anywhere I'd been before. Um, that took a long time. <laughs> so, so they're notorious for being overworked, correct? Yes, very yeah, much. And, and yeah. it's comparable, I mean, and I believe worse than it is in the United States. Yeah, from what I understand, Korea and Japan are the worst in the world. I wonder what, do you know what pushes people to that point where they're just sometimes working to death? Literally, there's documented cases where people die working. Um, What has has evolved in their culture to make people want to do that? Uh, So the lifestyle here is very much like a work hard, play hard lifestyle, it seems. Um, Ever since, after the Korean War, there was, you know, quite quite a bit of poverty here, and um, Korea just really wanted to advance and and catch up with the developed nations. So since you know mid last century, um, their economy has just shot up very very fast, and a lot of that has been because of the 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 work lifestyle. Um, they work very hard. And the economy is booming now. It's, it's, I think, the ninth largest in the world for a relatively small country. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, the other part is that a large part of this society, it's very image-centered. Everything revolves around image. So um, everyone wants to be giving the appearance that they are working hard. Um, family is also very important. So everyone's always trying to support their family and work as hard as they can to get the largest income they can. Um, so is it, is it for material purposes? Do they want things? Is it, <clears throat> you know, they want the flashy cars and the nice suits. There is there, there's a lot of materialism. Yeah. That very much does exist here. What, yeah. One of, it was one of the, the things that really jumped out to me um, very quickly after I came here was how, how materialistic everything is because image is so important. So there definitely is a lot of, uh, showing off of wealth, um, and th- there's a there's a huge it. focus on technology too, from what I understand. Yeah, very large yeah. industries for yeah. tech. There's, I think, five companies that dominate the country just through tech. Wow, wow, yeah, I've heard it like uh, in South Korea, like everyone's on their phone all the time, <laughs> especially in Seoul, constantly. Yeah, <laughs> but it's it's a problem because I think I've started to adopt it myself. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Just because everyone else is, yeah. It's not good. <laughs> so I w- I just looked this up. Um, the World Health Organization, uh, from 2016 had uh suicide rates, and outside of like in the top ten, there are a lot of African countries. Russia is actually number three, and then right. uh South Korea falls at number ten. And number ten, yeah. But in terms of industrialized nations, they're number two. Right, because yeah. it's like Lithuania is up there too, and they're fairly small. Uh, but the U.S. is actually Japan is thirty, and the U.S. is thirty-four. Yeah, it's very high, isn't it? 
Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I guess it's, we had, are you familiar with, uh, the nature fix by Florence Williams? No. She, she did some research in Seoul and the surrounding areas because the, specifically because of the culture of working so hard and anxiety and depression rates are so high. She spent some time, um, looking at different areas and they have what's called forest bathing and forest forest bathing. Yeah. yeah and forest therapy yeah. parks. Um, I don't know if you've had a chance to travel much within Seoul, but have you gone, have you by chance gone to bathe in the forest? <laughs> I I do often actually. <laughs> really? I, 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 like I never went there with the, you know, intended purpose of doing that, yeah. but I think it's just the, uh, the lifestyle here kind of, you know, uh, people definitely do flock to nature, I feel, here as, as a way to relieve stress because, unfortunately, there, I don't think there's that many outlets for stress here, which, which might be a big reason why, um, you know, for, for why there is so much depression and whatnot. But, um, yeah, definitely, like, every, every weekend you will see people of all ages going to the mountains, going to parks in the city, outside the city. And it's, it's actually, uh, you know, after, after going through every work week and, you know, pushing students to like always do their best just as their parents are, it's really refreshing to see families out together in the parks, um, just like laughing, having fun, how we grew up, you know? So that's always one of the best things for me to see. And yeah, I, I definitely love heading to wherever there is nature nearby. <laughs> yeah, you should check it out. The, her book was really interesting. Elliot <clears throat> is a huge fan. He's the number one fan. I am her number one fan. But it was it was really <laughs> awesome. Um, she backs it up with, with good data, good science on why it actually helps you. It It was really interesting. And yeah, if you want, we have an old podcast with her too. Very cool. Yeah. yeah. I'd be so, interested. Yeah. And, and so, so now you're, you're teaching kids. At what age are you teaching in South Korea? Um, so I'm primarily teaching seven year, seven year olds, but in South Korea, they measure your age differently. So in the West, they would be five or six. Um, wait, 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 what? They do? Yeah. I never, <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> you can't just brush over that. I didn't hear about this. <laughs> yeah. Ages are different here. Um, how are you? Is time different? I'm already too? 30 here, which is great because it's already, you know, prepped me for it <laughs> in <laughs> advance. <laughs> um, so uh, I, I wish I knew more exactly why this is the case. But from what I understand, they measure your age from, uh, they include your time in the womb. So when you are born, you're already one year old. And then they also go, I think, by the lunar calendar, but I might be very wrong about this. So everyone turns a year older together in the January or February. I think it's January of each year. So, for example, if a child is born in December, a month or two later, they'll be two years old as opposed to one month old. So that's why their ages are different. To wow. Ages. That. <laughs> I'm not sure how I feel about that. That's wild. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Getting used to. <laughs> yeah. I've never heard of that. No, no. Is that South Korea only? Um, I think so. I, okay. I know it comes from like an old Chinese uh, measurement method. Okay. So I'm not sure if it still remains in some countries, but I'm not aware of anywhere else that it 
is. Right. Interesting. Yeah. All right. So you're teaching five to seven year olds. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, <laughs> um, <and> yes. <laughs> so primarily them. So what's the process on actually, you know, did, what, what steps did you take for someone who may be listening that might be interested in doing it themselves, which a lot of people are? What information could you provide on how to actually go about doing that? Um, so the first thing I did was study a TESOL course online. Um, What's TESOL? TESOL stands for Teaching English as a Second Language. Okay. Or, or oh, okay. TEFL, Teaching English as a Foreign Language. They're the same sort of thing. Um, South Korea is uh, one of the countries that usually require some form of certification in having studied how to teach English as a foreign language. So the first thing I did was I did a course online for that. Um, I think I went a little overboard. I studied a very long, in-depth one, <laughs> and um, I, I kind of specialized in teaching young learners in that as well, since that's what I kind of wanted to do here. Um, once I'd done that, I actually contacted a recruitment agency that a friend I'd met in Thailand actually had, had referred me to, which he'd gone through to also live and work here. Um, that was called Adventure Teaching. They're a Vancouver-based recruitment agency that um, put a lot of, uh, you know, a, a lot of people who want to teach into positions in South Korea. So basically, I, I had a Skype interview with that agency and sent through the necessary documents like resume and a, a photocopy of university degree. And then once I'd entered into that, they essentially started contacting uh, schools in South Korea, which had positions available or schools that were contacting them looking for potential teachers in, you know, overseas who wanted to come. So it all happened very quickly after that. Um, you start getting emails very quickly from a lot of different schools uh, asking to have an interview with you or, or, you know, asking what you're looking for. And so after just a couple of Skype interviews, I had an interview with the school that I eventually moved to here first. And it was all pretty straightforward, actually. Um, once they, once you'd had the interview and they were interested in hiring you, um, the recruitment agency had already told you exactly what documents you needed to prepare in advance, such as like uh, you needed your university degree and a copy to be notarized and apostilled. By a notary public. Uh, you needed a criminal record check, a current one. Um, what else do we need to get? I think there was also, oh, your resume, of course. Um, so once you'd got all of that together, you basically just needed to mail all of that over to the school that wanted to hire you in Korea. And once it was all processed, they got your visa for you here. And once that was put in your passport, you were on your way. More or less. <laughs> and how long do the visas typically last? Um, most, it sort of rolls over each year here. Okay. Because most contracts are 12 months. You, so, I'm not, yeah. I'm not entirely certain of the process with visas. Do you have to, like, reapply? Or do you just have to verify that you're still in the country and working? Um, so, the visa I'm on is the, the, the one that most teachers will be on. Um, you, you need to be... You need to be what's the word enrolled? No, you need to be working with a with a school here because they essentially um, 
get the visa for you, I suppose. So um, if you decide to change school here or sign a different contract or extend your current contract, then the whatever school you are with will just uh, either, you know, like extend your visa or renew it so that you can just remain in the country. But if you, if you stop sort of working here, then um, I, you can't really stay unless you apply for a different sort of visa. Okay. So adventure teaching, when you mm-hmm. reached out to them, did you specifically know that you wanted to teach in South Korea? Yeah, I always had that intention. Okay. So they will, do they uh, reach out to other countries as well? So like when you, if you don't have a preference of where you wanted to teach, could you just go to them and say, hey, I want to teach English abroad. Um, what positions do you have open? Or can you do some searching for me? I believe so. I, I'm I'm trying to remember their website. I know they also um, recruited for teaching positions in China. And where else was there? It was China, South Korea. I know it was only three or four countries, I think. Um, I don't believe Japan was one. I think like most people I know of that have taught there have had to go through the JET program. That's the most popular uh, option to teach there, which is quite competitive, I think. Um, but yes, adventure teaching only offered a, a few different countries to teach in. I think there were some European ones as well, though. But I always had the intention of South Korea. So right from the start, I, I said I wanted to teach here, preferably in Seoul, um, just because I, I would be connected to everything by transport and there would be a lot to see and do outside of work. So once I gave them my um, preferences, then they really tried to tail it to that, which was really great. Nice. Well, speaking of seeing and doing things outside of Seoul, uh, have you been able to travel much within South Korea? Yeah, I've traveled as much as I can. Um, We don't get a lot of holidays here, so I haven't traveled outside of the country since I arrived, so all my travel has just been in South Korea. <laughs> nice. What are, some, you... what are some highlights? Um, they've been. I mean, Seoul, for starters, is one of my favorite cities. It's incredible. It's extremely large with a lot of people, but there is so much to see and do. Um, one of the things I love about Korea, I guess coming from Australia too, which is a very flat country, <laughs> is that most of Korea is mountains. It's like 70% mountainous. So there are mountains everywhere. Even in Seoul, there are mountains poking up through the skyscrapers everywhere. It's a very amazing uh, skyline. And yeah. I don't know if I've ever actually seen the Seoul skyline. No, I don't think I have either. Yeah, Yeah, I got to do a search of it. It's very cool. I'd not either. Um, I still remember the first time I went up to one of the most popular viewpoints in the city. I was blown away by the by the sight. I, I hadn't expected it to see so many mountains amongst the you know the dense urban area. It's very cool. Wow, it is a massive city. Wow, it's really big. Yeah, I really, yeah, how, I really want to get to Seoul. How does it compare to? What, where are you from um, in Australia? Brisbane. Brisbane, which is yeah. south, right? Like that one of the southern cities, or is that the northern? No, it's north. It's uh, east, actually. It's pretty much <laughs> midway down the east coast. Midway, okay, okay, okay. But it's much, much smaller <laughs> than Seoul. Nice. Wait, so can we, I, I want to come back to what there is to do in Seoul, but before we do, I just wanted to ask you another question about teaching the kids. Mm-hmm. Um, so how do they, how do they uh, 
accept you and and communicate with you you know you're this foreigner and they're young so i mean i don't know how much they actually know or realize but obviously you don't look like them you don't talk like them and how how do they handle it uh it has to be quite interesting yeah it's a very interesting experience (laughs) um one of the hardest hardest parts is the behavior and you know handling discipline because you look different um one of the first things I noticed was that whenever a Korean teacher or co-teacher came into the room, they automatically behave very differently (laughs) (laughs) with much more respect (laughs) to them. But, um, it wasn't too bad for me when I first began here, just because the class I taught, it was their second year learning English. So their, their spoken, their spoken English and their listening comprehension was already quite good. So, um, communication wasn't that big a problem for me. Some of my coworkers had a much harder time of it because the classes they were teaching, it was their first year learning English. Um, and they looked miserable for the first three months or so <laughs> until things got easier. Um, but this year, because I moved to a new school this year in my second year, um, I taught the same age group, but this year I have been teaching first year learners. So at the start of this year, at the start of this contract, they had never studied English before. Um, and I had a much larger class as well. I have 11 students this year, um, which isn't too bad compared to our public schools, but <laughs> so do you, no. do you speak Korean? Do you know Korean? No, I'm learning. Wait, how Korean. Does, so how do you teach them English if they, if you can't speak Korean? Right. I know that's the hard part. <laughs> so you use a lot of body language <laughs> and it, it's quite amazing actually how much we can communicate without a spoke, like spoken words. Um, you have to use a lot of body language, a lot of pointing, gesturing signs. Um, I already knew a little Korean, like, you know, just names of things would go a long way by, by doing that with pointing or body language. Um, but luckily the school I'm working at now, we also have a Korean, every foreign teacher has a Korean co-teacher. So for many of the classes that you, you co-teach together, they, they are there to, you know, to translate or help to explain things to the kids, especially if they're just starting to learn English. So that made it a lot easier. Okay. But aside from that, it's just like straight immersion. They have to learn just by being thrown in and having to try to understand you, which must be very stressful for them. I, I think it's stressful, but I also think that method works because it pushes you to actually pay attention way more than you would have to if you had this, you know, a professor, well, teacher. Um, Definitely. You know, so when I was in college, I took Spanish. I took Spanish for two years. And my second year, I showed up to class and she said in the, the very first day, I'm not going to speak any English at all. My, this entire class will be in full Spanish. It was so difficult. She assumed I paid attention in Spanish one, and she was wrong. <laughs> I I knew nothing, and it was one of the hardest classes I've ever taken in my life. Uh, I don't. I still don't know any Spanish. I've retained very little of it. But I do think that method for someone eager to learn, you know, or young kids whose whose minds you can mold much easier. I I I, I agree with that method. I like it. Definitely, it's quite incredible to see how quickly they pick it up here too um it was similar for me i studied french in school and you know the problem for us as well was that we we didn't have to speak french only in the class so of course 
we never did or tried right, to. Right, right. Um, so, yeah, I know exactly what you mean. But here, they they pick it up very fast. It's amazing. Um, they really need to stick at it, though, because I think they forget it quite quickly, too. But as long as they continue um, coming to these private schools and studying English as often as possible, then they definitely progress fast. Now, Koreans um, that are our age, you know, in their 20s, they're all speaking fluent English as a second language. It seems very common for them to start at an early age. And um, yeah, yeah, so en- English is definitely a huge thing here. Everyone is required to learn it. Um, having said that, though, there are a lot of Koreans, you know, my age or in their 20s who you meet and they don't really speak much English or at least they're not confident enough to communicate very well um yeah, it's very odd sometimes you'll run into people who have perfectly fluent english and other times they will have nothing so hmm. yeah it's not quite as prevalent as i expected no yeah i thought i thought pretty much especially younger generations i assume that they're mm. just teaching it to everybody um yeah one day it's going to be a global language for sure yeah it's definitely like it's it's the thing to do here Every parent will, you know, they have to spend a lot of money each year to to send each of their kids to learn English. Yeah. Um, and it's outside of their normal schooling. Like the school I work at is a private English school oh, which oh. teaches English. Oh, wow. So they, you know, yeah, like the kindergarten level I teach, they don't have school yet. So they come for the, you know, the majority of the day and learn with me. But the elementary students I teach, they will come after their ordinary school. And it's not uncommon for them to have other private schools to go to after mine, like for music, for art, for math. Wow. Study, study, study all day. Yeah. See, America, we have the, uh, we have the work hard mentality. We don't have the education hard mentality. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I, don't, I don't really understand where the, <laughs> where it separates. No, because we don't <laughs> seem to push education too hard on our youth. Because if we did, we probably wouldn't be working so hard. Uh, yeah, yeah. I don't know. But, yeah, education so, is huge here. <laughs> Everyone well, studies all too much. <laughs> I want to, I, I really want to, circle back to that topic about you teaching the kids at an early age. Um, my geography professor is going to kill me if he's listening. Um, but there, <laughs> there are two types of body language, one type that is learned. And I, I don't remember the names and I was trying to look them up and I didn't find them, but there's one type that's learned and one type that's common across all people, no matter what language, no matter what culture. So like smiling and like facial expressions, those are common across all cultures, but like waving isn't. So that's how I guess a lot of people learn through that type of body language. And I think it's fascinating that like you can go up to someone, you can smile at them, not know a lick of Korean, but they know they know exactly what you're thinking, yet you're happy. That's right. And that you mean no harm. Yeah. Yeah. Doesn't that come back to like sort of like a nature versus nurture type of deal? Yeah, I definitely. Mean, smiling is completely nature. It's it's I have a four month old who smiles all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah. And then but but when you get into specific gestures that have meaning, you know, that have man made meaning, it's I guess that's where it gets confusing. Is waving yeah. not where would waving not be acceptable? Elliot, do you know? 
I don't know if it's not acceptable. It just means different things in different places. Okay. Mm. Yeah, like um, like nodding or shaking your head is is you know universal for yes or no. I feel uh, which helped a lot here, but I know what you mean with the waving. One of the things I I found here was that when we gesture for someone to like come to us, we will do it with our hand pointing up and sort of wave to ourselves. But here they don't do it like that. They will put it with the hand pointing down, kind of like we do, I feel, to like a dog, <laughs> to to wave, to come here, and they sort of flap it towards themselves, hanging down. That's how they gesture for the kids to come. So when I was doing it the way we do it, for a long time here, they were really confused <laughs> <laughs> and until I started to, to do the other way, which felt strange for me because I, I felt like I was summoning an animal or something, but that, you know, that that's how it worked here. <laughs> Interesting. The kids understood. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of fascinating how it all works. Yeah. Um, Ellie, do you want to circle back around to uh, what to do and see as far as tourist attractions? Oh, yeah, again? Yeah. I, oh, I yeah. don't want to. Yeah, we get, we get so off. sidetracked. Yeah. <laughs> I think that all well, started with the. What did it start with? I don't, I don't know. even know. Oh, the yeah. skyline. Well, that's skyline. what's good about this podcast. There's no structure. We just talk. We let the conversation uh, <laughs> Go take hold. And, yeah. But yeah, I am curious to to hear more about it. Like, you know, if you have any specifics, uh, favorite restaurants or anything like that. Right. Um, I mean, in terms of. In terms of nightlife, I feel like some of the most popular places in Seoul would be Hongdae, Itaewon, uh, Gangnam from Gangnam Style. <laughs> it was is my that, famous is that? in that song. Is that um, it? It's a it's a place to go. It's a district of Seoul. Yeah, ah. it's south of the river, and it's very um, what's the word? It's very hip. Is it wealthy? wealthy. Yeah, it's very posh. It's very okay. sort of up and coming. Um, there's a lot of great bars there, a lot of great places to eat, get food, cafes. Uh, I quite like Gangnam. It also helps that it's one of the closest areas of Seoul to where I live. So it's just a straight shot on the subway for me. And yeah, it's a really nice area south of the river. Um, How is the public transportation? Of, it, it's, it's amazing. Right. It's yeah, it has very, that reputation. Clean, efficient. Yes. Right? Cheap, yeah. relatively Cheap. too. Yeah, yeah, it's really, really good. Now you've been to the United States. Have you? Did you take the public transportation in Manhattan? I yeah, I took the subway a bit in New York. Yeah. <laughs> now how do they compare? Yeah. It's very nice and Seoul. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Enough said. Uh, even even yeah. compared to the tube in London as well, you know, like the the carriages here are so large, so wide. There's so much space inside them, and there are no. Uh, doors between the carriages so you can see all the way down the end of the train wherever you're standing in it which oh, wow. also helps to give it a spacious feeling i feel yeah. um yeah you can you can go like the front or the back of the car too you can stand right up next to the window so you can see the tracks outside in the tunnel as well oh, that's cool. the driver will be in a separate little compartment sort of joined to it huh. um yeah feel... it's very nice it's very clean so very you efficient. haven't you haven't really driven or taken much like taxi uber do you feel like the public transportation system is uh viable enough for a foreigner to come in and get around pretty much everywhere they need to yeah definitely especially in seoul um i've taken taxis quite a bit but uh, that's always been once the subway's closed or <laughs> something like that or, or just for convenience because it would be quicker at a busy time <clears throat> but yeah definitely you could just rely on public transportation 
here. Um, that's the majority of what I do is just take subway or bus. Um, once I learned to read Korean, then it was a lot easier as well because you could just read timetables and signs and know exactly when buses were coming, where they were going, what their route was. So that also helps a lot. But there is also a lot of English on the signs. Yeah. Yeah, that helps. Did you ever use like Google Translate at all when you first moved there? I didn't actually. Um, yeah, I, I, I think I kind of just forced myself to learn the, the writing here. Yeah, that's probably the um, smarter way yeah. to do it. <laughs> the non-American way to do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to learn nothing. Yeah, no. I just, I just want to be able to point my phone at things. And uh, why don't they speak English here? <laughs> why can't I drive? Yeah. <laughs> Why is this so hard? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, all right. So we're, we're getting close to wrapping it up, but I want to hear, uh, do you have any recommendations for someone who's inspiring to, to teach English abroad, why they should go ahead and do it? I, I feel like if you want to do it, then just take the leap and do it because I don't think you will regret it, honestly. It's definitely a life-changing kind of experience. You learn a lot. Um, I. When I look back now, when I began teaching, I don't really know how I coped in the beginning. I, I was like, how would I go into a classroom and teach these kids who don't know my language and I don't know theirs? And, you know, I'm by myself in the classroom. How, how does this work? But it just kind of happens. And one of the best parts of teaching is that you develop a relationship with your students. Um, by the end of the year, seeing how they've progressed and seeing how much or how much of an effect you've had on their lives and how important you are in their lives i mean it's their daily life you're kind of you're not just teaching them english but you're for students that young you're also kind of their parental figure you're teaching them you know correct behavior how to be responsible how to be mature and treat others nicely so um to to see that effect that you have on them it's really rewarding and you know, on top of that, you get to live somewhere foreign, somewhere exotic. Uh, hopefully you'll have a chance to travel outside of that or to meet other people, to explore the country you're in. So it's been incredible. And I would highly recommend everyone to do it if that's what they'd like to do. I like that. It seems like an incredible experience. It seems like you have an amazing time. And uh, dude, I, I love your Instagram. I So oh, you can I... sort of take people, you can you can look at people's photos and get an idea of what they see the beauty in as they're traveling around. And I, I love a lot of your pictures, man. It's they're very colorful. You you pick out good architecture and the people and and yeah, I keep up what you're doing, man. It's it's awesome. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. That means a lot. And Ryan, besides the wealth uh, that you've gained from the the cultural knowledge, um, do you think that teaching abroad like you've been teaching is a viable option for like people that are still looking to build a little bit of a future for themselves in terms of like actual payment. Yeah, definitely. Um, I know like some countries are definitely better than others uh, for that kind of thing. One of, I mean, one of the factors of why I chose Korea was that it is one of the best in that regard. Um, it's one of the only, it may even be the only country, I'm not sure, but I know it's one of the only countries that pays your rent for you. So that immediately um allows you to save a lot more money each month yeah especially and in Seoul. so exactly so you know the your school will arrange your apartment for you that's all done you just move in and uh basically your salary is, is quite good here too so 
I know East Asia and I feel like the Middle East as well are very good options if you want to not only have this experience, but also like put away some money to, you know, to, to have later in life or to, to use now to travel with. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. So what's in store for future Ryan? Are you <laughs> long term? Are you are you committing to South Korea? Are you going to move there or are you eyeing up flight deals? Is there are there new countries <laughs> in the future? That's a good question. I still have a little, I still have many countries on my bucket list. So <laughs> um, I don't want to get too settled just because I feel like the more years that pass, the less likely I will get around to doing that. And I definitely want to do that while I'm still relatively young. So um, I, I actually just recently signed a new contract for next year. So I will be here at least another 14 months. But after that, I feel like I will get back to traveling for a few years. And then, uh, and then yeah, who knows? I, I could see myself coming back here for sure since... Um, Especially now that I'm learning the language, it, it seems wasteful to kind of give that up. So, and I'm familiar with the culture now and the opportunities here. So, I could see myself coming back here. Otherwise, I think I would try to teach somewhere else, maybe Germany or something. Yeah, somewhere else I would like to go. Nice. I love Germany. I would recommend it, especially in yeah. East Side, Bonn, Cologne. Oh, yes. Yeah. I'll keep that in mind. <laughs> do, you, do you picture yourself ever settling back down in Australia, or do you think you're going to take a permanent residence eventually in a different country? Uh, definitely the latter. I, For as long as I can remember, I never really wanted to live in Australia, weirdly. So it never really felt like home to me, even though I was born and grew up there. So um, no, I, I definitely want to to live and settle somewhere overseas. I think it will be either Asia or Europe. Yeah. But yeah, um, Australia, I think for me, will just be to to visit again, see family, right. travel back to. Yeah. All right. Not long term. Last question. What's the number one country on your bucket list right now? The number one uh, that I haven't been to. Um, yeah. 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 I know. I know I'm going to make you narrow it down, which sucks because oh I. Gosh. Yeah. I, there's, <laughs> it'd be hard for me, too. I'm just curious what you got lined up. Wow. What would I pick? Um, number one, maybe Mexico. Mexico. Interesting. Yeah, very. Uh, that's just, I think I would love the culture there. A um, specific city in mind? Um, not really. I, I, I've already looked at some tours where I would want to see as much as possible. <laughs> um, so. Chichen Itza? Are you familiar yeah, with that? that? Yeah. Yep. Um. There's beautiful Mayan structures throughout the country, yeah. especially in the uh, Yucatan Peninsula. Mm -hmm. A lot yeah. of cool, cool architecture. I'm I'd very much into love to see that. Yeah, yeah, me too. Through through to like Guatemala as well, and mm -hmm. it's like that would be incredible. Yeah, yeah, you could spend a few months in that in that entire area, just going through, and yeah, that'd be an incredible experience. Yeah, I feel I, like I love the food as well. <laughs> Americans view Mexico like Australians view Bali. The, yeah, you know yeah. it's it has the Cancun and all those party party cities, but I, yeah, there's also that that historical aspect to it. Yeah, yeah. just need to watch out. I don't know, you know, I'm I don't want to sound like a typical American afraid of Mexico, but I'm, I don't know the safety if there are safety concerns traveling through that country. Yeah, I'm sure I there feel are. Like it, it's one of the places I would want to do a tour. I think 
Yeah, just, yeah, it just, might be a just lot Just because easier. I'm not that familiar with it. And I doubt that they have public transportation running from, you know, city to city. And I don't know mm-hmm. how, you know, there there still are a lot of known drug cartels in Mexico. And yeah. so once you get to those rural areas, it could get a little iffy. But yeah, yeah. still very it's, culturally interesting, historically interesting. I like it. Definitely, yeah. I'd love hopefully I will do that one day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And <laughs> well, if you do, we'll have to talk about it, man, maybe before you go. Or after, you um, know, just yeah. maybe before and after. I'd be curious to see how your trip went. Hey, and why stop there? Let's do it during. During, yeah. Stop uh, wiring I'll, from Chichen Itza. I will come up. Yeah. I will come up first. <laughs> yeah. I'll yeah. see you guys. Yeah, we'll, we'll do a live here, recording. Man. Love to have you out in Philadelphia. So, yeah, Definitely. keep us in mind. Um, I'll be there one day for sure. All right, Ryan. I really appreciate you coming on the show. I really appreciate you still, you know, we're still connected after all these years. I love watching everything you're doing on social media. Um, So keep it up, man. Thanks so much. And thanks for having me. Dude, that birthday thing. That was so strange. I've never heard of that before. No, no, that's, I still am not, I mean, I guess it's a cultural thing, ancestral, but it's very weird that I don't I don't like using the term weird to describe another culture. It's it's very interesting that it's foreign. Yeah, well, to just say, okay, you've been born one month, you've been alive for a month, but here's the calendar year, you're one. I don't know how that math adds up. I don't I'm not sure either. But I guess and he said he they count the time in the womb. Right. So since conception, that's your age. So now you're you know, celebrating now you're celebrating two people having sex. <laughs> interesting way to look at it. But I guess you're not wrong. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's unique. It is. But it, uh, I did look up the the six universal facial expressions that everyone recognizes. And it's happiness, sadness, surprise, fear, disgust, and anger. I can see that. Mm-hmm. Because, well, I, all, all of those, happiness, sadness, surprise, fear, disgust, anger, they're, they're emotions that just come naturally. Sort of... Um, not naturally, but what's the word I'm thinking? They can just, they hit you without having to think about it. You know, if you're happy, something makes you happy. You don't need to think about the expression. It just happens. And yep. all of those, all of those do. And yeah, I can see those being portrayed very easily through as a universal system for, for well, emotion, for sure. Well, everyone, everyone recognizes it regardless of, it's just, it's nature. It's right, innate. right. Yeah. That's sort of, that's what I was trying to say, but you said it way better. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I'm I'm looking forward to meeting him in Philadelphia. That'd be really cool to have you know him come out and and show him around, show him where we're from a little bit. Hopefully that happens one day. I think at this point I don't know. Have we have we invited every guest to Philadelphia? <laughs> I think at this point we probably have. You know, and we mean it for every single one of them. And it would it would be awesome to get to talk to these people in person, share a beer with them. So yeah, I would. I, yeah, I, the more that take us up on this offer, the better. So don't forget to reach out to us with any questions and leave some comments on iTunes or even on our Instagram page. Uh, check us out wherever you're listening. Check out our Patreon and feel free to send us an email. We like talking to people. So once again, thank you for being our dedicated listeners. 